You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Our guest this hour, Will Johnson, received his B.A. in Art and Archaeology from Princeton University in 1968. He worked for several years as an art critic in New York before moving to the west coast of North America, where he began actively exploring gazing, moving, and sitting meditations. He became a Buddhist practitioner in 1972, was trained as a rolfer in 1976, and Will Johnson began the formal sharing of the practices of what he refers to as embodiment training in 1995. Embodiment training, as I learned from his website, is a path of awakening that, quote, views the body as the doorway, not the obstacle, to personal growth and spiritual transformation. Through combining the orientation of Western somatic therapy with Eastern meditational practices, embodiment training leads us to the discovery of our natural embodied state, unquote. With his wife, Courtney, they promote the teachings and practices of embodiment training at their center. But we will talk as well with a focus on his Inner Traditions 2012 release, Breathing Through the Whole Body, the Buddha's instructions on integrating mind, body, and breath. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. Hi, nice to be here. Nice to talk to you. Why don't you start with, because I opened with Somatic, and while some listeners may have heard some of the shows we've done over the years, many have not. So let's talk a little bit further about what exactly you mean by somatic practices. The word soma refers specifically to the experience of the body, not necessarily the physicality of the body, but the very the very experience of the body and the distinction that I'm drawing here, you know, we all know what physical body is. We see our own body, we see other people's bodies. But soma and somatics refers to actually the feeling presence, the experience of uh, being in a body, uh, you know, living in a body, and why it's important to draw this distinction, and we'll be getting into this, I'm sure, within the time that we have here today, is that for so many people, we don't feel the body. We're off in our heads, we're off in our thoughts, and we simply put a blanket over, we cover up the fact that on every part of the body, down to the smallest cell, there's some kind of minute little pinprick blip of sensation that can be felt to exist. Now, when we uh, you know, feel whole parts of our bodies, we can feel these sensations forming a mass or a flow. Uh, I sometimes think of it as the current of the life force, but it's an actual, palpable, real experience. Uh, uh, simply, we can call it uh, feeling presence. And in the work that I do, both in the Buddhist world and outside of it, my main focus is helping people reawaken and stimulate an awareness of body as lived experience as a unified field of very shimmering uh, tactile sensations. And when we make this shift from a place where we're lost in thought to a place where we're far more present in lived experience the body, that's when things start getting interesting. And that's when we frankly can start uh, you know, becoming more acquainted, reacquainted 
you know, with birthright states that simply uh, are, are, are far more satisfactory. It's just a far more satisfactory condition to live in when we're able to reawaken the soma and reawaken the body. And the nice part about it, I mean, having done some practices over the decades myself and having a um, stepdaughter who's very interested in somatics and body awareness, is that the story we carry in our body has so much information um, as well as experience to guide us. You know, sensitive, which I'm a sensitive, and so when anything happens in my body, I feel it, I note it, and yet many people don't have that feeling sense of their own body. So share with us a bit. I mean, I think lots of people might get this. Like if you say to somebody, well, when somebody yells at you, where do you feel it in your body? But it's not just that. There's a story there and often it triggers childhood experiences. And there's this whole wealth of information and allegory that we're blind to that really could help us heal. I think it took me a long time to get there, but that's what I was trying to say is once we access this, we can really start to heal and then open up to other parts of ourself. Well, I think that's where real healing occurs when we can reactivate, uh, you know, re-enliven the awareness of the body. And as you're so rightly suggesting, when we start doing that, yes, the first level of this may be uh, purely uh, physical, tactile sensations. We can feel this as a, a shimmer, a buzz, uh, a hum. Some people will call it energy that we can feel uh, coursing through every part of the body. But then what so often happens is that the emergence of sensation can be accompanied by the reemergence of perhaps long-buried memories, long-buried uh, feelings. Uh, who, who I turn to is the uh, somatic uh, psychotherapist Wilhelm Reich. Mm-hmm. Now, Wilhelm Reich was one of Sigmund Freud's, uh, you know, primary students, and he was very fascinated by. Freud would talk about libido a great deal, and Reich would want to figure out, well, where is this located, and what's going on now. What Reich came to understand, he was probably the first Westerner, the first major Westerner to realize the importance of bodily sensation and the breath as a vehicle for stimulating uh, bodily sensation. And uh, sometimes he would say that what we call the subconscious, the unconscious portions of our mind, of our psyche, of the body-mind that gets buried underneath the superficial layer of thoughts that so dominate our consciousness. What he would say is that that subconscious reservoir doesn't exist in some remote repository in the brain, but actually exists in the physical tissues of the body. But to the degree that we're out of touch, literally out of touch with them, or you could say we're unconscious of these sensations, we don't feel them, and hence we seem to push down or we repress some of these uh, memories or some of the feelings that once we bring them back up to the surface of awareness, they have a chance to process themselves out and we literally, uh, you know, become lighter and, uh, you know, and hence 
happier now. One and of and the, I'd like to uh, add, I'd like to add something here for a moment, Will, and am more open to other. You know, I think the the issue that might be helpful to talk a bit about is armoring, because there's nobody in our audience who won't have had this experience of, you know, let's say you walk down the city street and there are all these eyes on you and you feel uncomfortable, and all of a sudden you start armoring your body, your your stare, your heart rate might quicken. You kind of um, almost like put on your suit of armor in order to just persevere down the street. Talk to us about what that actually does to us. Okay, and I I couldn't have said it better than how how you've just described that. What most of us do, as I was starting to suggest, we develop a quality of consciousness that is out of touch, that holds back, that uh, represses, that tenses, uh, and, and we bring tension into the tissues of the body uh, ostensibly to protect ourselves from what perhaps we see, we perceive as a threat or something uncomfortable within the you know, broader context of the society in which, we, uh, in, in which we live. But that holding in, that tensing in, obviously brings with it a lot of discomfort, both at a physical level and at an emotional and psychological level. So what, uh, you know, what I do, you know, literally with people is to try to help them as best I can. First of all, to remember that it's absolutely okay. There's nothing taboo about experiencing these sensations, these feeling states that do, as you're suggesting, exist or seem to pop up in different parts of the body. Well, I, and, and I'd also like to add, because we've done so much work on related issues over the decades on this program, is that our illnesses will sometimes reflect these holding patterns. Our very specific physical malady that finally becomes disease is the last stage of some of these states of energetic pattern that we get trapped in, almost like we're trapped in our own creation of an unconscious sort of form um, that holds us from actually having a free flow of energy or chi or life force, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, well, again, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. And, and uh, disease is dis-ease. It's an unease. We're not easy uh, in our body. Instead, we place or we replace the natural uh, condition of the body that in its most relaxed state is easy, it's flowing, we can feel energetic movement, uh, what I call the current of the life force passing through the body. But when we repress that, when we hold it back, literally it's like a lock in a canal. We start tensing, we bring tension into the body, and that tension, well, it can do many things. It can cause physical pain, it can cause disease, it can cause emotional, psychological pain. So that's the kind of situation that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And and the beautiful thing, I, I love that you touched on, you know, this need for body work. We've done shows on rolfing. I founded a holistic healing center back in 1984, and it's still the oldest um, freestanding integrative center. So we have rolfing and Reiki and the kinds of things you talk about, um, whether it's rebirthing or holotropic breath works. Right. Share with um, us a little bit about this this availability to us of freedom. I mean, because ultimately that's what we're talking about is freedom from our own unconscious energetic patterns that we're not even aware we have, or maybe we are, but don't know how to change them. Like if you and your spouse argue and every time a certain story comes up, you just go into conniptions because 
not only have you heard it, but you have all these other associated feelings. And so sometimes even just a word or a visual that somebody like on the news, when you watch all this horrible news, it really affects all of us. So your book, Breathing Through the Whole Body, the Buddha's instructions on integrating mind, body and breath, really give us keys for how to begin this journey of opening up to really, I guess I'd like to say our perfection. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe that as well. You know, when I was, uh, you know, sitting here and listening to the news that was being broadcast just before this show, uh, you know, we're living in a time of troubles. And, you know, those troubles, whether they're personal or global, they impact us. And what we do with the impact of troubles is that we tense the body. The tension in the body holds the breath. It interferes with the free flow of breath and of the kind of breathing pattern that could lead us into conditions of far more freedom. And then we seem to get locked there. Uh, now, my background is uh, specifically with Rolfing. I was fortunate to be able to study with Ida Rolf, the originator of Rolfing in the mid-1970s. And, you know, I came away from that strongly impacted by the understanding that if we tense ourselves, if we tense the body, it isn't just a momentary thing. It builds over time, and the tissues of the body lose their natural resilience, and we get locked in these patterns of holding. And unfortunately, most of the patterns of holding are patterns that uh, lock us into uh, ruts or repetitions of uh, negative kind of responses or negative kinds of conditioning. So if we can learn through things like deep body work, deep breath work, uh, deep meditation, to start letting go, literally letting go of some of the holding and the holding patterns in the body, we find that we have access to a great deal more freedom in our lives. Totally the truth. You know, when I was listening to you talk, I started thinking about an experience um, that I want to share very quickly, and then we'll take a break, because it's a really good example of how even somebody like myself, who has all this awareness, and I've done all this path work, and all this body work, and blah, 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 since I was in my teens, and I'm now in my mid-60s, is that I became really aware, because I've been suffering with hyperthyroid for about six years, and under treatment, and this and that, but all of a sudden, I realized um, that I have not breathed properly, probably since I almost drowned at the age of three. And that my entire life, I have for the most part, been contracting my diaphragm when I inhale and expanding it when I exhale. And it's the reverse or the reverse. It's reverse breathing. I wasn't. And so for about four weeks, three weeks, I worked this summer. I focused just on my breathing so that when I inhaled, my diaphragm expanded and my solar plexus opened and it was like a balloon. And when I exhaled, it contracted versus what I've been doing. And I found that it has changed the whole way I sit in my body. And as one person pointed out to me, well, yeah, because when you breathe improperly, you're constantly stimulating the medulla oblonga. I always say this improperly in the brain. My producer's laughing at me, as my sister always has when I do these silly things. And that it also means that the heart and the thyroid and everything else are being hyper stimulated all the time. 
you, you know, again, I couldn't agree with you, uh, you know, with you more. And what we'll probably get into in the next segment is to, you know, examine and take a look at the fact that most of us inhibit our breath, we hold it in, we hold it back, and that holding has consequences, uh, yeah. you, you know, for us. Yeah, I mean, really, I, I can't stress to the audience what a difference it's made in my life, because I tend to be extremely sensitive and and quote-unquote hypersensitive, but having really shifted my breathing, and I know it, because as soon as I lay down and I breathe and I see my abdomen rise, I go, oh, wow, it's doing what a baby does naturally. But exactly. it took it took really deliberate work this summer um, to break through that holding pattern that I've had like 63 years. So, folks, right. the point of taking the time to share this, and we'll go to a break, is to tell you that it can be done and that such a seemingly little thing has had such a profound effect on the way I feel and my energetic body. And I don't feel so ramped up, even though we have crazies in government. We'll be right back. Our guest is Will Johnson. We're going to move next to really a focus on his book, Breathing Through the Whole Body, the Buddha's instructions on integrating mind, body, and breath and inner traditions. 2012 release. Learn more at www.embodiment.net. This is Taya Shear, co-author of The Hebrew Priestess, Ancient and New Visions of Jewish Women's Spiritual Leadership and Practitioner of Jewish Ancestral Lineage Healing. You can learn more about me and my work at Holy Taya, that's H-O-L-Y-T-A-Y-A dot com or JewishAncestralHealing.com. You are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Our guest, if you're just joining us, is Will Johnson. He's written so many books, I can't list them all, but you can find them on his website, www.embodiment, that's embodiment.net. And the current book we'll be talking about now that we're back, Breathing Through the Whole Body, The Buddha's Instructions on Integrating Mind, Body, and Breath. And it's a 2012 Inner Traditions release and always an opportunity to learn what I was trying to say earlier was the medulla oblongata, right? Yes. <laughs> now I got it. I may you never make it. that mistake again now that I've actually like <laughs> written it down and seen how it's spelled. All right, so the breath. There are some very basic things that you begin with in breathing through the whole body. So why don't we talk about posture, setting, you know, how to get ourselves ready for this basic thing we do unconsciously all the time called breathing. Well, the first thing that we all have to do is to take an honest look at what our breathing pattern is doing, how we breathe in, how we breathe out. And if we do really shine an honest light on this most fundamental and primal of processes, what most of us are going to see is that we hold the body very, very still, that we inhibit the breath. We don't let it breathe as fully and deeply as we could possibly breathe. We have holding patterns in the tissues of the body. As we were talking earlier, these, these holding patterns, they become chronic, and they become like walls that hold the potential, the possibility of the breath in, so that when we breathe in, we're really breathing in with only a fraction of the uh, amount of oxygen that we could be taking into our bodies when we breathe out. Again, it's a very diminished, very 
detailed kind of situation. So that's where I always begin with people. Now, as a Buddhist meditation teacher, uh, you know, largely the retreats that I teach, I'm teaching, uh, you know, practices that are done in a traditional sitting meditation posture. doesn't matter whether you're sitting cross-legged on the floor on a kneeling bench or in a chair. There are, you know, simple principles that can guide us in our work. Now, the first thing, we have to be sitting up, uh, you know, straight and upright. And that's the Buddha's first instructions on meditation, to keep the spine erect and upright. And the whole reason for that is that that then allows us to start relaxing, to start letting go of some of these chronic tensions that are uh, bringing pain, dis-ease, and discomfort into our body, and are limiting the amount of breath that could be coming in or out. So we can relax the body when we sit up straight. Relaxation, interestingly, is probably nothing more or less complicated than the willingness uh, and the ability to simply surrender the weight of the body to the pull of gravity. We just let go. Now, if you're sitting upright in an upright posture, you don't topple over. Obviously, you can't do that if you're out of alignment. So I pay a lot of attention in the work that I do and in the teachings that I offer to have people find this place of upright alignment that allows them to relax. And then what we start seeing is that for relaxation, the softening of the holding patterns, this release of uh, tense tissues in the body, for that to continue over time, the body has to start moving almost like an amoeba, expanding throughout the entire body, breathing through the whole body, uh, on the inhalation, contracting back down on the exhalation. So the entire body stays in constant movement. And this is ordinarily, if we take an honest look at what our breathing pattern is, we're not going to find that. We're going to find that we're holding ourselves very tense, very still anywhere. It may be the, uh, may be the belly, it may be the rib cage, it may be the head, the shoulders, anywhere in the body. And these are the kinds of awarenesses that I want people to start having because we need to become aware, first of all, how we're inhibiting this natural breath that wants to breathe through the whole body, how we're inhibiting it so that we can start allowing it. I love that after you you know, sort of guide us in having the erect spine, you talk about the center of gravity. And the example you give is so much fun, which was this toy you had as a child, which <laughs> I remember so well. Share this with us. I remember as a young child, I had this toy it was a blow-up toy. Now, it must not have been that large, but as a small child, it looked very, very large. And it was someone, it was like a clown model. It had sort of a small head and upper torso, but a very, very large, spacious uh, oval for a bottom. And I was a pretty aggressive little guy, you know, like most kids. And you could punch at this uh, at this fellow, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, uh, releasing untold punishment, but he would immediately <laughs> always bounce back. And why could he do that? Because his center of gravity was very, very low. In some ways, the whole of Buddhist practice and, uh, you know, by extension, this notion of breathing through the whole body, we want to lower our center of gravity from our heads, where it 
largely is within our you know our current culture we're so much lost in thought up in our thought balloons in our heads and we literally want to drop that down down into our bellies down into the lower parts of our body because when we do that that's what then allows us truly to start letting go to relaxing and it is this uh, gesture of letting go and relaxing that is so critical to start releasing and opening this fuller, deeper, more full-body breath. And then another point you make, and it's so basic and yet we don't often think about it, is we think of ourselves as being these dense, solid beings. And when one becomes more appreciative, I guess, that everything is in flux and that we're basically spinning little electrons and atoms and all kinds of things are bombarding like the galaxy inside our body, as above, so below, as within, so without, that we really are um, in constant flux. And this, this has a lot to do with being able to experience them once you can sort of walk around this first in your head then in your heart and then in your body right. that you can experience the openness you're starting to talk about our reaching and also the somatic reality of what's really going on yes and it has to be an experience you know we often start off in a place where we have ideas and concepts about who we are and what body is and mostly from the perspective of ideas and concepts body is viewed as a solid object, just like uh, the telephone that I'm holding in my hand or the chair that I'm sitting on. But again, when we go back to the awakening, we were talking about in the first segment, the awakening of the feeling presence of the body, we start realizing that body is not solid. It's composed of these minute, uh, vibratory, shimmering, pinprick blips of sensation that goes through the entire body. Now, for those of your uh, listeners who are not driving a car, who are at home listening to this, I would uh, encourage them just to hold out a hand with the palm up. And when you really start giving yourself permission to put your attention into that hand, oh, at first you might find that the hand feels heavy or you're aware of the coolness of the air around it, but if you go right into the middle, the very center of the hand, you realize it's buzzing, it's humming, it's vibrating, it's shimmering. There are these trillions of sensations that are constantly changing. And so when we shift our perspective from conceiving of what a physical body is into directly experiencing what it is, we let go of this notion of body as solid object and immediately enter into this experiential awareness that body is fluid, it's vibratory, there is great space inside it, and that shift from uh, a a conception of solidity into a perception of this free flow of the current of the life force is dramatic and always is accompanied by an immediate, uh, frankly, increase in our sense of freedom and well-being. And people are going, right, and I can do this sitting in meditation. You know, it's it's interesting how sometimes the form that the practice takes before you start seems too rigid to actually end up giving you this broad, open, un, uh, kind of fettered experience. But in fact, that is what happens. So 
talk to us a bit about breathing because, you know, it doesn't, whether you go to a weekend workshop or you're a serious student, depending on the path you're on, breathing has many different styles. You can inhale through your nose and exhale through your nose. You can in through, inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth. You can inhale through your mouth and, ex, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And depending on what you're practicing and what speed of breathing practice you're doing and for what reason. So what is the best kind of breathing for simple relaxation as you're describing for breathing through the whole body? Okay. Now it's, it's interesting, but you're mentioning, uh, I've, I've had many, many different teachers in my life. Occasionally, some of them would say, you breathe in through your nose, out through your nose. I've had other teachers that say, breathe in through your mouth, out through your mouth. I've had other teachers that say, breathe in and out through your nose and mouth simultaneously. Oh, that's an I interesting one. I honestly don't think it matters. What does matter is what you're doing with your body when you're entering into this conscious process of breathing. Now... What I bring into the Buddhist world in some ways is being viewed as quite radical, but in other ways... Well, well I have to tell you, don't go too far. You wouldn't be an inner traditions writer, and you wouldn't be on my show, yeah. <laughs> or our show. And, and, and in other ways, it, it totally follows the tradition, but as we'll talk about in a second, it's, it's a tradition. Mm -hmm. It's part of the teachings that a lot of meditational practices still don't embrace. So breath forever has been viewed by different wisdom traditions as a key, uh, as almost a magical uh, formula for, uh, for experiencing opening, uh, you know, into higher conditions of consciousness. In the traditional Buddhist world and in the uh, practices of mindfulness, wonderful, wonderful practices, but they still start at the beginning. Now, the Buddha's first instructions on breathing is just to be aware of your breath. Be aware of it as it comes in, as it goes out. But what I've come to understand is that the process of meditation, especially when it's applied to the breath, it may begin with observation, but it has to eventually uh, move into or evolve into a place of surrender through the whole body. Now, the Buddha's culminating instruction on breathing. It's not just be aware as it enters and exits the nostrils. It's as you breathe, breathe in through the entire body. As you breathe out, breathe out through the entire body. And to do that, two things are necessary. And I don't care if you're breathing in and out through your nose, your mouth simultaneously or whatever. But the first thing that you will want to do is give yourself permission to shift from that conceptual place where you're lost in thought into this experiential somatic place where you can experience body as this unified field of feeling presence. Because how could you possibly breathe through your whole body if, one, you can't even feel it? And then the second critical component to this is that you want to let go, keep letting go in such a way of the holding, the tension, the... Uh, it, 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 the way we hold our bodies so still that inhibits the breath, so that breath naturally, uh, the force of breath can start making transmitted motions throughout the entire body, uh, one joint at a time, so that it can move through the whole body. You can feel this as an actual palpable experience, and it moves through the whole body, not unlike how 
body of water. So the simplest thing for people to do, start by paying attention to the breath and then gradually broaden your awareness so that you start feeling the whole of the body. You bring that to awareness. Remember, there's sensations in every part of the body down to the smallest cell from your big toe way up to the top of your head. Shift your focus of awareness so you can start feeling body more. And then once you do, you can start becoming aware of just as you're describing what you did this summer. You become aware of the places in your body that you're interfering with this natural process of breath, where you're holding it in and holding it back. And then you can just start relaxing and letting go. And lo and behold, what naturally starts happening, just like the wave moving through a body of water, the breath can be felt actually to fill the whole of the body and move and pass through the whole of the body. Yeah, it's um, yeah. You know, it, for me, it was I was talking to somebody half my age, much younger. Half my age would be younger. Yeah, <laughs> and me too. He's, and he said to me, "Well, you know, and here I am, and my elder. You know, I'm a teacher, and a this and a that." And he said to me, "Well, Zohara, when was the first time that you went <gasps> like that out of fear?" And I realized the first big time was when I almost drowned at three. And right. then I realized this kid was right on it. He had right. he had hit the spot for me. And once I became conscious that that's how it began, it was so much easier to let go because I sort of revisited the emotional trauma of that moment, though some of it was quite beautiful because the Blessed Mother saved me. But there right. was still a, a bodily experience, a bodily tapestry that took place that I just sort of went on about my life. And uh, it helped so tremendously. So anybody who, like myself, found, founds themselves doing shallow breathing where you can't get below your chest, I just couldn't. Even even doing hatha yoga, even doing all the body work I've done, it just never really shifted permanently. It was like, oh, I had to focus to breathe properly. But now it has finally shifted. And what really made the difference was identifying when that trauma started in the body memory. We'll be right back. If you're just joining us, I'm so glad you have. You might be a winner of a copy of a book by Will Johnson. Hello, my name is William Waterway. I'm the author of The Holy Order of Water, Healing Earth's Waters and Ourselves, and Water Voices from Around the World. My website is williamwaterway.com, and I enjoy 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. I consider it to be a very enlightened radio broadcast. Thank you. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. Our guest is Will Johnson. He's written a wonderful book, Breathing Through the Whole Body, The Buddha's Instructions on Integrating Mind, Body, and Breath. When we return to this process of breathing and using breath as a focus, you know, there are a lot of um, physicians now who have recognized the benefit that children have from breathing, exercises, meditation, as a form of self-management, anger management, etc. But we also know medically that it lowers blood pressure, that it improves the health of the person, that if we're in a stressful situation and we're really in fear, if we shift our attention to our breath, we can really center ourselves. So share with us a little bit. Uh, Will, tell us how to use this technique of shifting our focus to our breath and breathing out through the nostrils and the whole can really be a lifesaver. We're not just talking about, oh, you know, just do this once in a while. But if you practice it well enough, it becomes a tool that literally can change your life. Well, it can become 
a tool that can literally change your life and it could become more of a natural pattern, uh, you know, for you. Uh, you know, again, we start from a place that is probably extremely held, extremely uh, contracted and held back, and how could that do anything other than bring what we conventionally call stress into our body to uh, bring tension, tightening into the, uh, you know, the arteries of the body, which can, uh, you know, directly increase things like, uh, you, know, blood, you know, blood pressure. So, uh, you know, for me, whether you're sitting uh, upright in formal meditation posture, whether you're walking on the street or driving your car, pushing a buggy through the supermarket, you can remember, you can give yourself permission to remember how am I breathing? What am I doing? Am I holding too still? Am I holding too rigidly? Am I too much off in my thoughts, worrying about things that, you know, I probably can't change anyway? I was just in uh, uh, Salt Lake City the other day teaching, and someone shared uh, something that I quite like. They said, you know, worrying doesn't really help us. It brings tension into our body, and it can just be thought of as a prayer for what we don't want. So the breath is, for me, a constant tool as well as a constant reminder of how I'm doing. If I pay attention to my breath and everything's flowing pretty easily, well, that's a reflection about the, of the fact that I'm probably doing pretty well, and I will feel that. I'll know that. If I'm in a very, very stressful situation, uh, fearful, tense, angry, sad, I can take a look at my breath, and I'm immediately going to see that in some way it's being held, it's going to be constricted, it's going to be held way back down. Now, you don't try necessarily just to change your pattern of breath. It's not a matter of, oh, my breath is shallow, I'm going to breathe deeply. The important thing here, because remember, this is all somatic work, the important thing is to I use this phrase often, give yourself permission to actually feel what it feels like to be breathing in such a constricted way, and you'll be able to locate the places in your body where you are holding, and often it's just by turning your attention, your feeling awareness to these places that are being held in and held back, that suddenly, once you feel that, it begins on its own to start letting go. Now, it's not often immediate within a breath or two, but if you focus on your breath, starting to pay attention to your breath, you immediately uh, shift yourself from being lost in your thought to coming back into the body, and then over time, maybe in as little as a few uh, minutes, you're going to start seeing things letting go, softening, and the pattern of breath will change uh, automatically. So when we do these practices, and as you point out, they you know we can practice this on and off throughout the day just by bringing our attention to our breathing by starting with watching the breath, sort of in a sense of feeling, um, is that it calms the body. And you talk about that towards the end of your book, Will, and I'm so glad that's what you close with because oftentimes, particularly today with our short attention span, um, with the kind of digital technology that people are so um, entrained to buy, and the fact that 
this entrainment can be so unconscious, whether it's listening to music in a store that is not healthy or going to a sports event and being just completely shattered by the decibel of music and speakers that they play or wherever it is. You know, there's a lot of jolting that goes on either through our eyes or our ears or our taste and through our senses. And I think oftentimes our culture forgets that all of these inputs are going somewhere. They're not just nothing. So we're, I guess the best way for me to put it is we're in overload. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We are in sensory overload. The, uh, the pace of evolution is very, very slow, and here we are in the last, say, 50 years, we are being exposed visually to an overload of visual data and, and stimulation that's unlike anything that humans have ever experienced. And the same thing is true of sounds, especially for those of us that live in, in cities, and frankly, it's the majority of people in the world now. Yeah. Who you know who live in cities now? Uh, yeah, uh, look, I love being in nature, and I think most people find that when they go into nature, something special happens there. Our body uh, starts resonating with the pace of uh, of nature. Uh, our body is bathed in the silence and the beauty of the sights and sounds. Now. You don't have to go to the mountains or go into nature to do these practices. We can do them anywhere. I encourage people to establish in their own homes, even if it's only a corner in your bedroom, what I call a little sanctuary of silence, a place where you know that you can go and sit down and turn off your phone. You're not going to be disturbed. Uh, your children know not to bother you during, uh, during this time. Just settle down there, sit down there, whether in a formal upright sitting posture as uh, people enter into in Buddhist retreats or simply sitting in a chair lying down on your bed and just begin this simple process of starting to pay attention to the sensations of the body. The easiest way to do that is probably just put your awareness up at the top of your head and wait until a sensation, a quality of feeling presence comes forward, then move your attention slowly, part by part through the entire body until your whole body has been sensationalized. And then you can start paying attention to how you're breathing, what's happening, where you're holding, where you're letting go, and just keep allowing that to occur. And, it, you know, it's, it's, like taking a, it's like taking an internal shower uh, you know, shutting off the overload of sensory stimulation, the auditory and visual uh, stimulation, the overload, and just settling back down into a far more natural and uh, and calm state. Yeah, I, I like the way you said, you know, oftentimes think of people think of breathing as the goal, but breath is just the means you write. The real goal of the practice is, quote, to experience what happens to you, your mind, right. your sense of self, your understanding of incarnation, when you explore the possibility of breathing through your whole body. And you say, yeah. you know, it's like even Buddha, you know, it wasn't to perfect your breath. And as you point out, every breath like a snowflake is different. It can be choppy, smooth, long, short, rough, shallow. You say it's to find out who you are and who you become when you pay attention to your breath. So that, to put it shortly, 
when we pay attention to our breath, we experience ourselves in a new way. You know, exactly. And because of the sensory overload, we've, we've lost touch. We've literally lost touch with that place at the very center of our center, that when we are able to reconnect in with that deep and most natural of conditions, Something happens, and we, we, you know, we gain new insight into what it is to be alive in this moment, what it is to be a human being, and perhaps how we want to uh, you know, live our lives. From my experience, if we can soften the tensions in the body, enter deeply into the center of our center, where the breath opens up naturally, uh, you know, we find it's impossible to behave unethically mm-hmm. towards ourselves or towards uh, or towards others. This has meant a whole lot to me in my life. And one thing I could stress to all of your listeners, if they're thinking, "Well, I'm hearing this guy talking," you know, he must be a body guy from birth. I was not. I've come to this through, uh, you know, through lots of blood, sweat, and tears, and relaxation. And, you know, release as well. And it doesn't matter how old you are. You can always begin right now, pay attention to the sensations of the body and the possibility to release a breath that can actually be felt, not as a thought, but as an actual experience moving through your entire body. Yeah, beautifully said and beautifully taught. I'm so grateful for your work, and I thank Inner Traditions for giving us some books so we could give one away tonight. Breathing Breathing Through the Whole Body, the Buddha's Instructions on Integrating Mind, Body, and Breath. And the other thing, you know, Will, I like so much about the way you've described in your book, and folks, it's a beautiful book. It's not one of these big tombs that you have to read, you know, 3,000 pages. It's under <laughs> 85 pages, and it's so clear and simple that if you have grandchildren, you can literally share these exercises with them. If you have a spouse who has problems health-wise, you can help with it. You can read this to others. You can do it as part of a book club. You can share it in your churches or your synagogues or your mosques or wherever, or your homes or your PTA. I love it. Breathing Through the Whole Body with Will Johnson. Go to www.embodiment.net. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Noah Dankner. I'm Dr. Zohar Hieronymus, and we hope you enjoyed the show.